Hey, so this morning we have the privilege of having Matt Larson from Anthem TO. He's going to come share with us a bit about CellGen, right? Celebrate generosity yeah, yeah. and maybe some other stuff. Yeah, about that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the gist of it. Take it away. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> hey, everybody. How's it going? Yeah, sure. Fine. Whatever, Matt. Um, what do you got, visitor guy? Um, I'm just kidding. I'm sure that's not what you were thinking, but uh, that's what I felt when you're Okay, I'll, I'll move on. How about that? Um, my name is Matt Larson, and I'm uh, the lead pastor at Anthem Church up in Thousand Oaks, and I'm really excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, Kevin and Keeley are back officially, but uh, Kev's not preaching today, and also next week they'll be in Denver, and that was kind of by design. We wanted to give them a chance to uh, kind of get their, I, I said this last gathering, get their sea legs back, but that's, I don't know, I think it feels like the wrong picture. You don't want sea legs, you want land legs. But uh, anyways, get rid of their sea legs, maybe that's it. And just kind of find their footing and find their, their rhythm. Uh, Kristen and I did a, a three-month sabbatical two years ago with our family, and one of the things that we found is even just the processing of uh, those months, it just took time to kind of even understand what God was saying and doing in us over the course of uh, the three months that we were gone. And so I think you are going to uh, reap the benefit of Kevin and Keeley's um, time away with their kids for uh, quite some time. And it'll be fun to hear them process and share what God's put on them over the years. Um, months. They weren't gone for years. They were gone for months. Uh, let me just say one thing. I am talking about Celebrate Generosity, but also not. Uh, just so that I know, how many of you have been with Anthem Camarillo fewer than six months? Raise your hand if you've been here fewer than six months. Okay. And how about more than six months? I'm going to make everybody raise their hand at least once. All right, good. That's helpful. Um, every October, we celebrate our churches, our family of churches anniversary uh, by getting all the churches together at a park in Thousand Oaks to celebrate, um, by giving away a ton of money. We have projects that we pour into. It's a great day. I'm going to give you some specifics. You don't really need to remember them, but just put a pin in the back of your mind. Sunday, October 20th at 10 a.m. at Conejo Creek Park in Thousand Oaks. We're going to get together. We'll have a gathering. We'll have a taco lunch, and then it'll be just spike ball and volleyball and fun hangout afterwards. It'll go until about 3 p.m. It's a great day. All of our gatherings don't meet in their regular locations. So Ventura, Denver, Camarillo, Thousand Oaks all go to this one park for the day together. It's a great time. So stick that in the back of your mind. Sunday, October 20th at 10 a.m. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys there. So on the one hand, I am talking about Celebrate Generosity, the event, but, but maybe more than that. Today, I, I wanted to spend some time laying the groundwork for why generosity is a thing. I want to tell a little bit of our story, Anthem's story, why generosity is a thing for us as a family of churches, and then we'll take some time and go into the scriptures and try and understand why is generosity a thing to God? Like, why does that matter to him at all? And then we'll take a final burst and talk about how we can grow our generosity. And with that, I want to give one disclaimer, and that's that when we talk generosity uh, with Anthem, we're not talking specifically about money. Now, generosity can absolutely include money, and it should include money, but that's not necessarily the point of our message. I'm not giving this message in hopes of getting a larger dollar amount on Celebrate Generosity or that the giving would go up. That's not the point. As we'll see as we dig into the scriptures, there's, a, there's an inherent posture that God wants to, um, to grow in each one of us, and that's our goal for today is to try and understand what does it mean as the people of Jesus uh, to be generous people. 
So to get there, uh, I want to ask two questions, and I'm going to give you about a minute to process through each one. Uh, And so if you are a note taker, pull out your notebooks and you can jot down your thoughts or pull out your phone and take notes down there. Some of you just like to ponder the deeper things of the, of the universe in your mind, and you can do it without any paper or phone. So here are the two questions, one first and then the second. The first question is, what kind of Christian do you want to be? So when you think about all the things that the Bible says about what it means to follow Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, making disciples, going to the nations, whatever it is, what kind of Christian do you want to be? So take a moment, and just process through that. What lights you up? What gets you excited about following Jesus? What kind of Christian do you want to be? You can take that and kind of archive that in the back of your minds for a little bit, and that'll be something that might continue to stir in you throughout the week or even throughout uh, this time of teaching in the scriptures. God may, may do something to shape in you what kind of Christian you want to be, but hold on to that answer, and even I want to encourage you to hold on to that question. That's a good question to revisit in seasons in your life. Here's the second question. What kind of church do you want to be a part of? When you think about the the call on the local church in the scriptures uh, to be on mission, to be faithful, to be whatever, when you think of the church that you want to be a part of, what gets you excited about a local church and its contribution to the kingdom and to the community, just think about that for another minute. What kind of church do you want to be a part of? One of the things that I love about the Bible is that it it means that there's not actually a specific right answer to those two questions. There's uh, different things that the Lord puts on us, burdens or desires or ambitions for the kind of Christian that we want to be and the kind of church that we want to be a part of. There's there's room in the scriptures to, to express our passions. About 11 years ago, Kristen and I were, uh, I was on staff at a church in Newbury Park called the Evangelical Free Church of the Conejo Valley. I was the youth pastor there. And I uh, was really processing through some, some new thoughts that the Lord was putting on us about possibly planting a church. Uh, we're going through 1 Corinthians as a family of churches. That's where we get church planting language. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who causes all things to grow. That's where the idea of church planting comes from. It's going to a new community and starting a new church with disciples that want to make disciples, allowing that to kind of grow and take new life. So that's where that comes from. We felt like the Lord was putting on our hearts a desire to plant a church. 
And so we got the opportunity. We actually uh, said yes to an invitation to be a part of a leadership residency. And we moved out to the Chicago area uh, to go and serve alongside a church that was, their goal was to teach us uh, how to be a multiplying church. And that, the reason that we went there is that that was the thing that God was starting to identify in us. The kind of church that we wanted to plant, the kind of disciples that we wanted to be and produce is we wanted to be a multiplying church. And we didn't really know what exactly that meant or how to fully articulate that, but God was shaping something in us. And, and some of the key components were that, that the gospel was never designed to end with us. It was always designed to go through us. It was designed to go through you. You were never meant to be the last person to hear the gospel of Jesus. It was supposed to be entrusted to you and then delivered to the next person, the next community, the next language, the next nation. It's designed to go through you. And we wanted to build a people and build a church where this picture of God's gospel going through us into another person, another church, another place, that was the story that we wanted to be a part of. And, and God was stirring this up in us. So this church in Chicago took us in and, and their goal was to infuse in church planters the DNA of a multiplying or reproducing church. They wanted to take people that were passionate about starting churches and make sure that, that what was in them was a desire not just to start one churches, church, but to start churches that would start churches that would start churches and on and on to ultimately fill the earth with the people of God, the gathering of God's people. And that became this, this picture that we were growing into. And have you ever had, I don't know if you've ever read through the Bible like in a year or spent any time studying it, but if you read the same passage over the course of a few years, one of the things that you see is that it kind of speaks differently to you each time you read through that. Anybody ever had that experience before? You spend time reading through a text and maybe the next year something just jumps off the page and it's like, where was that? I just read this last year and it's just so colorful and alive and fresh. And we started to see in the pages of scripture that, that this idea of multiplication was unavoidable. You couldn't get away from it, that everywhere Jesus was saying, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And those disciples were then responsible for obeying the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And Paul told Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. And this was a, a picture of generations, that generations would be birthed out of the gospel in each person to the next and to the next and to the next and to the next. And we just started to see this as the story of God. So while we were dreaming about this, thinking, okay, we want to be a multiplying church, we got a chance to see it laid out in this church in Chicago. Uh, they had this dream. They, they basically had this, this dream that if we want to reach the Chicago area, it's not going to be through being a mega church. They, now, Chicago is full of some mega churches and some of the biggest in the country. I think at the time, Willow Creek was about 30,000 people. And this idea of being huge and everybody coming to us, everybody was seeing its limitations. That's not going to be how we reach the Chicago area is essentially what this church said. They said, if we want to reach the greater Chicago area, we have to multiply. We have to send churches out into each neighborhood, into each community so that those those communities can be met by, in their context, in their language, the name of Jesus and life being, the life of God being brought into those communities. And so they started looking at it from that perspective. How do we multiply? How do we send? And we wanted to see that happen in our lives. And as we watched it happen in Chicago, we started to see this, uh, this 
trend, I guess I would say. Have you guys ever seen a Venn diagram where it's like, you know, two different ideas and where they merge? One of the things that we started to see is that if you wanted to be a multiplying church, you also had to be a generous church, but the, the Venn diagram was almost like a 100% crossover. That to understand what it means to multiply, to send, to release, you have to first understand this idea of generosity as it's played out in the scriptures. And this is why we talk about it more as a posture than as a like fundraising idea. Because it really has very little to do, when all said and done, with the total dollar amount at the end of whatever generosity produces, what it has to do with is our posture. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through why that posture became so essential for us to express as a church. We wanted to multiply. But in order to do that, we were going to have to send people. We were going to have to send our best. Kevin and Keeley came on the team with us when we were getting ready to start Anthem Thousand Oaks. And on our first Sunday in Thousand Oaks, we stood up with Kevin and Keeley and said, they're next. Kevin ran all of our community groups. He was my right-hand man. He oversaw setup and teardown. Keeley, they, they just, as a family, they were such an integral part of what we were doing. But if we had any dream of multiplying, it was going to mean that we had to send them. We had to actually release them to go and start a new story, this story. And this was a story that also has this heart for generosity, this heart for multiplication. And together we've been able to start Ventura, we've been able to start Denver, and on and on. And it's been such a joy to walk in this journey. But to do that, we had to understand the nature of generosity. And so with that, I want to look at a couple of scriptures that, that lay the groundwork for the posture of generosity that God desires for us to have and ultimately is embedded in the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, verses 7 and 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Okay, a couple of terms in there that give this sort of monetary picture of a gospel reality. That God is wealthy in mercy and grace. The riches of his grace, it's an abundance. He has plenty. He is loaded with mercy and grace, but he is not stingy with it. He lavished it on us. Have you ever been lavished before? Anybody ever gone spa day or something like that where somebody just lavished you with something wonderful? We had an opportunity to experience this a couple of weeks ago as a family. Uh, we went out to Denver for the Denver prayer tour and our family was walking around downtown Denver uh, just kind of touring the city before the prayer tour actually started. And we were in downtown and we're, you know, I've got five kids, we're a family on a budget, trying to, you know, make our vacation stretch as much as possible. So we yelp this pizza place in downtown Denver and kind of start walking towards it to go grab a slice. And while we're walking, we get to a stoplight and uh, this guy kind of accosts me out of the, my peripheral vision. He just comes up on me and he's like, hey, you want a free lunch? With like a little bit of an edge in his voice. And uh, my kids are still mocking me for this, but I sort of like jumped back and said, uh, what's the catch? They thought that was funny. And he, he says, oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There's no catch. Uh, we're opening this new restaurant. We have a test day. We've got our cooks and our waiters and everybody needs some practice. We were full of reservations, but we had some cancellations. Do you guys want to come in and have a free lunch? And I'm like, dude, I have five kids. And he looks past me and does one of those cringy faces. And he's like, uh, hold on. So he goes in the restaurant and checks it out. And he comes back and he says, my boss says it's okay. You guys can come in. 
Guys, this place was like, like high-rise building, bottom floor, tall glass windows, gorgeous wood everywhere, absolutely beautiful. And to give you an idea, our kids, when they dream about going out, they long for the day that we find the right coupons and make it to Sioux Plantation. Like that is just their absolute jam of a jam. When our family gets to go and just eat whatever we want from Sioux Plantation is, that's it. And so we go to this place and they, 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 they get ready to hand us the menu and they're like, okay, we don't want you to be shy. Order whatever appetizers you want, whatever entrees you want, as many desserts as you want. Like we just, we want to test the kitchen. So whatever you guys want to ask for. There was, there was shrimp on the menu, you guys. There was like steak stuff on the menu and mushroom things on the menu. This was an incredible menu. And we, the kids, their eyes were this big. We took pictures as fast as we could of our kids because they could not believe what was put in front of them. So we, I mean, we did. We ordered Three different appetizers, everybody got an entree, multiple desserts, and they brought all of this food out, and our kids just could not believe the spread of food. Andrew is sitting there eating his burger like, this is the best burger I've ever had. It was so much fun. That's God's posture towards us. Like, he's not reserved in what he gives us when it comes to mercy and grace and forgiveness. He's not stingy with it in any way. He is lavish He wants to pour out his grace on his children. That is his love. That's his posture. That's his heart. He is rich. He's wealthy in forgiveness, and he wants to lavish you. And so the idea of being generous becomes pretty critical because if we're going to be people that receive the lavish grace of God and then turn around and be stingy with that, It's totally counterintuitive to the gospel that we've received. It is not the way that we are designed to respond. God's heart is that we would receive freely from him and in our posture, we would then give freely the same grace and forgiveness that was given to us. And in the same way, we start to understand all that we have is from the Lord. Everything that he's given us, our education, our biology, our, our genetics, our resources, what we grew up with, our story is all his. It's been entrusted to us. And if we turn around and we are stingy with that, it's counterintuitive to what God has entrusted to us. If you ever take time and read through the parables that Jesus teaches Uh, you see that 11 out of the 39 of them deal with money in some way, shape, or form, or maybe more appropriately, they deal with how we manage what doesn't belong to us. So many of the parables that Jesus teaches are about us learning how to receive from somebody else and hold on to something that belongs to somebody else and then manage it well and give it freely to those who it belongs to. So that story is, that's, that's us. That's what God desires to do in us is to teach us how to be gospel people, how to be people that understand his grace and his generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there or it'll be up on the screen. Um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are phenomenal passages to read if you want to see what the Bible has to say about money and giving and generosity. It's, it's an incredible read, and Paul summarizes it in 9.6. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So here's the thing. Uh, you could take this passage, and many have done this, and you could actually turn it, to a pretty poisonous theology called the prosperity gospel. 
You could take this exact passage and say, see, God wants you to have a bounty of riches, so all you have to do is sow bountifully, and God will load you up with more and more and more. What's so difficult is that that is what the text teaches, and that is what we believe. The prosperity gospel draws on the motive of having more. Don't you want more in this world? Then you should give and give and give. And usually, with prosperity gospel preachers, the giving goes to the person that's doing the preaching. But the idea is this this fundamental reality that God wants you to have all that the world has to offer. And the miss is that what Paul is teaching is that God wants you to have all that the kingdom of God has to offer. And he wants you to get in this posture of everything that you've received from the Lord, you give freely. And when you do that, you show yourself trustworthy and more is entrusted to you. And here's the fundamental difference between the prosperity gospel and what we believe that the actual scriptures teach is that when you are entrusted with more, the same stewardship is given to you. The same call to manage that faithfully and be generous. That never stops. So there's never a point where you've graduated out of generosity and now you get the Benz or the Porsche 911 or the big house or the pool or whatever. The point is that as you receive, you continue in the stewardship that God has invited you into. And that's the difference. So when I preach this passage, I want you to hear that. And I'm not preaching a so you can have a bounty. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly, meaning anybody that receives from the Lord and only gives a little bit, only a little bit is going to be entrusted to you from a kingdom perspective. I'm not putting money on that. I'm just putting whatever God entrusts to you is going to be minimized by your stinginess in that, in that passage. But whoever sows bountifully, whoever is free with what God has entrusted to you, more will be given to you. You will reap bountifully full. Paul has a moment with the Ephesian elders. This is in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. A little bit of backstory for this. Paul has been, he's been with the Ephesian church for three years. He's put elders in place, and then he's left them to go plant more churches. And his his journey is taking him back through a spot where he can meet up with the Ephesian elders on the beach. They have a nice little bonfire. It doesn't say that in the text. Just anytime there's a beach hang, there's a bonfire involved, I trust. So they're having a little moment there on the beach. Paul and the Ephesian elders They're down on their knees weeping because Paul's telling them, this is the last time I'm going to see you. Not until, just period. This is the last time I'm going to see you. And that we've taught this passage before whenever it deals with eldership because he commissions the elders. He tells them about their job description, what he's asking of the elders to do from that point on. But there's another thing in there that's super, I just think, powerful because the context is so, it's like released from Paul. It's just for the Ephesian elders to hold on to. Verse 35, he says this, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's not saying that because he's trying to get the Ephesians to give him money. He's saying the fundamental posture of a follower of Jesus, the one that learns that it's not just about what you can get from God, but when you learn that you're a participant with God and you start to give freely, that is the abundant life, the blessed life, the life full of joy is when you have received and now you're joining with the Father as the giver. It is more blessed than to receive. You have received an incredible gift. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Never stop appreciating the gift. But Paul, when he's talking to the elders, says, look, when you're on the giving side of the equation, it's even better than on the receiving side. Starting to turn what God has entrusted to you and to bless others with that, with the kingdom of God, the life of God that has been placed in you, the resources that God has entrusted to you, that is the better way. And I just, again, I love that moment. Final, tear-filled, goodbye with the Ephesian elders. And he's like, guys, don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is the better way. So here's one of the, the things that I want to I walk through. We only have a little bit of time left. But that's sort of building a bit of the posture of why is this a big deal to God? And in that, what you need to understand about generosity is that God's not concerned about your money, what you can give to him, what he can get from you. I, I don't have any actual facts to back this statement up, but I like saying it anyways. I don't believe that in the history of ever, God is at a project that he wanted to participate in that he couldn't afford to. I just don't think that's God's issue at all. Because Second Chronicles tells us that everything belongs to the Lord. He has total sovereign access to everything that has ever been created at any given moment. He has zero limitation as to what he has authority over. So there's no issue on God's part about funding. So when we think about God's call to generosity, he's not trying to get money for a project. He's actually trying to get something into you. This is something for you, the follower of Jesus, to start filtering into the who you are so that you can start to live a different way because it is better to give than to receive. There's something that God's trying to help you find that there is a better life. And so with that, I want us to learn how do we then grow our generosity? Not a total dollar amount. This is one of the reasons we actually own our property up in Thousand Oaks, the, the property that we meet at. Uh, we bought a few years ago, about five years ago. And any improvements that we do, we never put a plaque on the wall with who gave the most money or anything like that because biblically, generosity is not connected to a dollar amount. Uh, you see that. Jesus saw the one giving much and the, the widow giving a penny. And he's like, that guy gave out of his abundance. That's not generosity when somebody gives a big dollar amount out of a big bank account. It can be, but he's not, he's not saying that that explicitly is generosity. That widow gave out of her poverty that penny. That was generosity. That was sacrifice. So when I teach on generosity, I want you to hear that this is really, an, it's an issue between you and God. Nobody else can define what amounts to generosity in you, but the relationship that you have with God, you present to him and that's where you learn how to define what is generous, what is sacrifice, what costs. And that's a, that's a conversation for you to have with God. But you can grow your generosity with some intentional biblical things. And I want to walk through those. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. The first thing you can do to grow your generosity is to grow your theology or your mindset of uh, the kingdom of God. So Jesus says this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Right there, if Jesus were a legalist, that would be the end of it. If he just wanted to say, 
do this, don't do this, and that was enough, and you just have to obey it, he would stop right there. But that's not how Jesus operates. He actually wants us to understand because Jesus is less concerned with the behavior and more concerned that his people get it, that you understand why he would even invite you into this life. That is a deep value to Jesus. So he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where it all falls apart and breaks down, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is a true treasure, all right? Not, moth and rust do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That short sentence teaches us a ton. First of all, Jesus identifies the fact that your treasure and your heart are two different things, but that they are necessarily tied together. Let's talk about that. First of all, your treasure. What is your treasure? It's what you are after, what you long for, what you're working towards, what's valuable to you, what's important to you, what you're seeking after, what you desire. That's your treasure. Your heart is who you are. It's the person that you are. Your, your core, your soul, how you think, how you process, how you have faith. It's the personhood. That's what the Bible means when it talks about heart. It's the who. Love the Lord your God with all your heart has very little to do with your biological organ and all to do with who you are. And so Jesus says, for where your treasure is, the thing that you value, the thing that you're after, the thing that's important to you, there your heart will be also. Who you are follows your treasure. Jesus is less concerned about where your treasure goes. He's after your heart. But he knows that in order to get your heart, he has to have your treasure. Because where your treasure goes, there your heart will be also. Now here's the thing. I don't know what it's like for you, but I hear messages like this and my, my brain gets instantly reset. Like, oh, I, I want treasure in heaven. I don't want the things of this earth. I wanna love the things that God loves. I wanna wrap my head around the things that God wraps his head around, wrap my heart around the things that God wraps his heart around. It inspires me to think differently and believe differently. And I imagine something might be happening to you even just reading that text again. But here's one of the issues with us as human beings. We love to treasure the things of the kingdom of heaven and treasure the things of the kingdom of heaven and treasure the things of the kingdom of heaven and then our car breaks down. Thanks, John. It's not your fault. But I do associate you with a broken down car. I apologize. But you get to that place where you're trying and you want and then something happens in this physical life and it requires money to fix it. And all of a sudden your treasure, the thing that you're after, the thing that you love, just finds its way back down to the things of this earth. Has anybody ever gone through something like that before? Maybe it's medical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's your house, maybe it's your car, whatever. But our minds just go back down so easily and so quickly to the things of this earth. And we start to value them again and they become the solution to our problem so quickly and so easily. This is why the Bible talks about money all the time. If you've ever taken a crown class or a Dave Ramsey class, it talks about how the Bible talks about money more than it talks about love by like four times. Like money is the number one talked about issue in the Bible because our lives so quickly get engrossed with money and what it can do for us and how it can fix our problems and our, our, our lives become wrapped around the things of this earth so quickly and so easily. So if you want to grow your generosity, one of the ways to do that is to frequently, 
And you know better, better than I do how frequently you would need to do this, but to frequently go back to a passage like Matthew 6 and reset that mind for the things of the kingdom of heaven, to reset the solution to the things, even the things of earth in the kingdom of heaven. How do I find faith for the things that I'm struggling with on earth? How do I wrestle with through faith the things that I'm wrestling with on earth? And it resets our mind and our theology around the kingdom of heaven. So you're resetting on a regular basis where your treasure is. And this is why, honestly, in community group would be one of the best places to have that conversation. Hey, my, my treasure is drifting. I'm trying to treasure the things of the kingdom of heaven and I just keep getting drawn back to that dirt patch in my backyard and how I need to fix that and I don't want a dirt patch. I want grass or concrete or something beautiful, but it's dirt. And all I can think about is that dirt. Sorry, that's us, but... Help me get back to the things of the kingdom of heaven. And that's where community can stir us up to love and good works and help us reset our minds on the things of the kingdom of God. So that is one way to grow your generosity. Step one is that mindset, that theology being re-brought back to that place of setting our treasure in the things of the kingdom of heaven. The second thing is highly practical. In fact, I think this is the second most pragmatic verse that Paul ever writes. That's a totally unofficial ranking system. The first one is Paul telling Timothy, hey, I left my coat in Troas. Can you pick it up for me on your way? That's number one. Uh, number two is this one, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. We'll get there in a couple months as we go through 1 Corinthians. We're on a brief break and we'll be back at it. He says this. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul's basically telling the Corinthian church, I'm going to be stopping through in a little bit. When I get there, it would be great if you had already collected all the money for the famine-stricken saints in Jerusalem so that I can just grab that money and take it straight to them rather than show up and wait around for a few months for the fundraising project to kick in to take all that money and then deliver it. Start now. I don't want to over-spiritualize this passage, but I do want to say this. Paul is inviting the Corinthian church to be intentional and disciplined about their giving, about their generosity. Make a choice prepare for it. Most of us don't. And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where some opportunity came up to be generous and you longed for the ability to just release something into that situation, but the credit card, but the car, but the, we didn't plan for it. We have no space for this. We have no room for this. We can't pull that trigger. I don't know if you've ever been in that place before, but it's a devastating place. And Paul is calling on the Corinthians and just saying, look, I want you to think about it in advance. And here's something fundamental that you can learn from this, and that's that generosity doesn't have to be spontaneous to be spiritual. It's not like somebody calls on, on the church for a need and everybody just grabs whatever's in their pocket and that's a generous heart to just dump whatever is on you at the moment. That's not Paul's perspective of generosity. He actually calls on the church to be intentional, to think about it, to prepare for it and make a plan and execute. And I just want to encourage you guys to, in your growth and generosity, if you're married, uh, sit down with your spouse, take a look at things. What does it look like for us to be generous, to grow our generosity? Are we sacrificing? Are we walking through this together? What can we do to grow what God is pressing on us to be generous with what he's entrusted to us? And then be disciplined, set aside. Right now, we're, we're moving towards October. There will be an opportunity to give. 
in addition to whatever you give to your church, I would love to encourage you to set something aside for Celebrate Generosity so that you can participate with full joy, not feeling the lament of not having anything left over to give, but having prepared, there's joy in then releasing that and being a part of that together. So I wanna encourage you with that. And the last thing, last way to grow your generosity is this. Let's say you get it. God's gotten a hold of your heart. You understand all that Jesus has given to you, grace, forgiveness, mercy, all your resources, all your education, everything you've ever thought, all your genetics, all your biology has been entrusted to you. And you're like, I am in. And I just want to release that and pour that out. Whatever's been entrusted to me, I want to give it. That is beautiful, but it's not the end. Whatever God has done in you, he's calling you to teach somebody else. That's the fundamental nature of making disciples is that you would teach the next person and the next generation and the next friend and the next community how to walk in the way of Jesus as you are learning to walk in the way of Jesus. Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is an example about rich people. And again, this isn't about rich or poor. Generosity goes beyond actual socioeconomic. But I want you to see how Paul is discipling Timothy to disciple people who have financial means. And this is, it's a beautiful layout, but not not one-to-one, but it's enough. He says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to, haughty is just associate with people richer than you and poorer than you. So be friends with people that have more money than you and that have less money than you. Don't make your economic status the thing that defines your friendship. That's haughtiness. Uh, Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. You ever notice that uh, money can be a a hope source, whether you have it or don't have it? If you have it, your hope is in the fact that you have it and safety and security. If you don't have it, your hope is in when you get it, you can fix things. Either way, people can put their hope in riches. And Paul's teaching Timothy teach people not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Timothy, I don't just want you to understand this concept. I want you to teach other people to understand this concept. I want you to release what you're learning into the life of somebody else. The challenge is to teach your kids generosity, to stir your community group to generosity, to actually grow the people that you're walking with to live in greater generosity. And that's the nature of discipleship. And that's when this thing gets multiplied and starts to manifest in more people than just you. So my encouragement if you want to grow generosity is to take others on your journey with you. And that's how we start to see this take over that as our dream for being a multiplying church, our dream for being a generous church, it starts to take over the nature of who we are and it's a beautiful thing. I wanna close with this last thought. Um, It was really important to me to not mention the things that we're going to be giving money to in October. How many of you have been a part of one of our Octobers before, Celebrate Generosity in the past? Okay, you know how excited we get about the actual things that we're pouring money into. They are game changers. Rescuing kids out of sex trafficking and pouring into church leaders into Paul. It's beautiful stuff. But today's message, I, I want our motivation for generosity to be a bit more core than that, like more at who we are and what we believe than just 
oh, that's a good thing. I should pour money into that. That's, a, that's okay as a starter. That's okay to get you rolling into a life of generosity, but we have to dig deeper and understand that it's more than that because if it's just that, then you'll start working on, oh, are they, are they managing the money right? Or is this church, why would I give money to my church when Babu leads 16 churches? Isn't that a more effective place to give my money? Where your money goes, ultimately, ultimately is not God's premier desire. Now, I think there's some wisdom and some discernment needed and there's opportunity and that's where we trust elders and, and walk together as a church community and that kind of thing. But at the core, generosity is about how you engage the gospel and turn your posture to be somebody that knows that God has entrusted all of these things to you and how you hold them matters to God. That's what I was hoping to teach today. We'll get to what we're pouring into in October. It's beautiful. I can't wait. I love writing those checks. I don't actually physically write the checks. Figuratively speaking, I love writing the checks. It is a, an absolute joy to see that money go out to some of the most incredible works that we've gotten to be a part of. I love it, but that's not the point of today. So I hope you're seeing just the joy and the opportunity that comes in growing in generosity. Let me pray for us and we'll respond. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you've poured out into us and into our story. We love the opportunity that we have to be recipients of your generous heart and then to join you as givers of your gospel, uh, givers of your lavish love, givers of the resources that you've entrusted to us, even givers of the people that you've made us to be. We get to share with them not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Lord, would we be generous people, period. Thank you for filling our lives and making us a part of your story. Help us to grow in this, Jesus. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen.